I didn't think that there was anything on the face of the earth that would ever push me to do what I'm going to do right now. But Flair, you have pushed me as far as you're going to push. Right here is $25,000. And it goes to any human being that can eliminate Ric Flair from wrestling. Take a look at it, Paul Jones, you and your whole entourage of people, Dick Slater, Kabuki, the names, the list, it goes on and on. Any human being that can eliminate Ric Flair for me has got $25,000 cash. I'll give it to any living human being. Jack Briscoe, you are world's champion. You took the belt from me. You're the man. You can do it. It's here for you. Come and get it, please. Somebody take the damn money. I want rid of Flair. Lord Orton back for the tag now to Dick Slater and Slater just taking his time now as he measures Steve Muslin. Gets him in a position here. Looks like he's going to, and he is, lifts him high to the air for the suplex. And this might be it right here for Steve Muslin. Trying to get out and flare right after him with a baseball bat. Rick Flair with a neck brace on came charging into the arena with a baseball bat. He went at Slater. He also went at Orton. And here's Flair again with a bat. As Slater had a chair up trying to protect himself. And for a moment, it looked like Rick Flair may have had him cornered. But Slater managed to get a chair up. <clears throat> All right, and here is, listen to the crowd. What Rick Flair right here, neck brace and all with that bat. I have a lot more than neck brace. Because of me, you thought, and the fans thought, 
and the rest of the world is gonna hear about it. This is mine, my partner now. You are two against one. Well, I got a partner, and Bob Cottle, light him up, because it'll be a cold day in hell when someone can walk out here and make fun of me, put me in a hospital, try to break my neck, try to end my career, and most of all, try to take the greatest sport in the world from me. It's mine! And race, I promise you race, for paying those guys $25,000 before it's all over. I'll have a piece of you, and it's gonna be that gold belt. Slater, it's only just begun. Now, you gotta face Ric Flair one more time. Ric Flair fans. Yes, sir, Ric Flair, and I tell you, there was no doubt Bob Orton and Dick Slater knew exactly what Ric Flair had in mind when he came out with that bat. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And we'll skip most of the news this week. Yeah, this is just, I've, you know, us telling some stuff. And this this is a tribute show to Harley Race. This man is one of the top five greatest of all time. A lot of people can argue that statement, but he is up there at least in the top ten. But for old... You know, NWA, Southern Wrestling guys, he is definitely in the top five. I put him in my top three. So, he is, when you think of the NWA, you think of Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, Terry Funk. In my eyes, in the top three greatest NWA champions of all time. And so, this is a tribute show directed directly, strictly to him, uh... We're going to kick it off here. Harley Race, uh, Harley Leland Race, was born April 11th, 1943. He died on August 1st, 2019, just a couple weeks ago. He had a way about him that uh, that captured everything, uh, all the way down to the fact that he wrestled. He started wrestling in 1960 and died in 1990, or retired, I'm sorry, in 1990. He uh, had a, he had a very serious style about him and the fact that to this day till the day he died you never said that wrestling was fake uh that was something that would get you punched (laughs) uh he took it very serious it was a sport to him 
It wasn't just a show. It's a sport, and he it was something that he got in a lot of fights over, especially in barroom fights and things along the lines. Uh, he took his territory wrestling as serious as the fact that you may have heard the story, you may have not, but before he went to WWE, um, WWF at the time, uh, he ran the St. Louis and the Kansas City Territory. And when WWE came th- came in in the back door of it and did a house show, Harley Race, who had access into the building because he knew who was running it, basically, walked right up to Hulk Hogan and had some words with him that got hostile and he actually did pull a gun on him and told him, you know, hey, this is my territory. Get the hell out. And so... Then Hogan said, you, you're talking to the wrong guy, take it up with Vince. But uh, he just he was the type of guy that he he didn't care. Uh, he took it as serious as serious could be. He um, was the very first king of the ring. One-time WWA heavyweight champion. That, that heavyweight title and seven times NWA champion makes him a total of eight-time NWA championship reigns. The uh, first ever NWA United States Champion. He was a WCW Hall of Famer, WWE Hall of Famer, NWA Hall of Famer, Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame, Cauliflower Alley Club, Missouri Sports Hall of Fame, the uh, Wrestler of the Year in 1979, 1980, 1981, and 1983, the Stanley Weston Award. I'm not sure what that one is, uh, but he also he won that. He was also inducted into the St. Louis Wrestling Hall of Fame. He won the Sam Mushnick Memorial Tournament in 1986, and he was a two-time Slammy Award winner. Uh, just to name a few of his great legacies left behind, he just was a guy that he had a rough start. Uh, he had been married for about a month to his first wife. They had a car wreck. Uh, killed his wife instantly. He uh, he, he was going to lose his leg. And uh, an old dear friend in the wrestling business came up. And this was right after he started, maybe a year or two into it. Came up and uh, rushed to the straight into the ER, into the room, and told him no. You know you're not amputating that you know you're not amputating his leg and it was a it was a long hard row because it was bad enough that they were going to amputate it Uh, he battled back and became like i said one of the greatest of all times going forward uh just there's stories like that so much for me uh, when i used to work shows with him and things i like i said in my uh on my facebook message i can vividly remember sitting on a locker room bench and him at this time was in in a wheelchair but he uh he rolled up to me and he's like hey you did good in this you did good in that you need to work on this you need to work on that here's what you do here you know here's here's what i i would do here and just start breaking everything down and uh actually creating a science to whatever it was in wrestling or whatever it did to make a match better whether it be a referee wrestler manager he is a man that will be missed greatly 
Uh, his son, Leland Rice, I do believe is going to keep going with World League Wrestling. I'm not so sure if he is or not because I haven't spoken with him personally. Well, I mentioned it on the uh, the extra episode I did uh, a couple weeks ago, but uh, the things I remember most about Harley Race were from those early WCW matches with Vader and Lex Luger when he was actually a manager. Uh, the Harley Race that I knew was King Harley Race and was not promoted very well and was a lower mid-tier, mid-card guy in the WWF. I thought he looked way out of place in 80s WWF. I think his greater contribution happened prior to that uh, in the NWA and the AWA where he was a tag team partner with Larry the Axe Henning. And uh, basically his WWF run, it's, it's kind of unfortunate that WWE is the number one company in the world to memorialize him because his greatest accomplishments didn't happen in that company. It was all it was all around uh, that company. That company, uh, Vince just doesn't like things that he didn't create, and uh, I thought the King gimmick wasn't wasn't a real good thing for him. And um, Hogan, he finally he had a small program with Hogan that was on TV, and that's how he got injured, and that's how he had to retire. But he actually, the when he was doing the the managing stuff for Vader, he's the same. He was the same age as Chris Jericho is now, so that's pretty crazy how how young he actually was. Even though I always thought Harley Race looked like an old man. I'm sorry, there's just some people that always look like an old man, even when they're not. And Harley Race is one of them. He had a very good promo style, but I think others took it and then improved upon it. He he laid a good groundwork about how to be a good heel on the microphone, but I think that uh, Ric Flair obviously took it and, and took it up a, a notch more with the cockiness and the thing. Harley Race, very serious. very. I mean, the NWA, before Ric Flair became the face of the franchise, was all about real sports and this is a sports league and this is professional wrestling and this is serious and in that regard Harley Race was an excellent champion for if that's how you want to brand your company but I think uh, going forward I think sports entertainment as it's referred to now by the WWE was more personified by personalities like Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes when they were able to come into their own. This is more this Starcade 83 is actually more of like a passing of the torch, a changing of the guard as far as how the NWA was going to approach wrestling and realize that up in New York they're doing something a little different. They we're not they didn't want to get that cartoony, but I think they realized they needed to start going in a in a more entertainment oriented direction yeah and in that world in that world of sports entertainment a guy like harley race just couldn't couldn't exist in today's pro wrestling scene and it's also his wrestling style is not i mean wrestlers didn't have to do a million moves you'll see that on this pay-per-view it's it's a totally different and that's why it's it's hard for me to go and judge starcade 83 versus like all in or uh, double or nothing or something like that where work rate is so much different storylines are so much different the nwa like i said approached things with a very sports kind of feel to it and that's what made harley race a, a great champion is because he was heel but he was only heel because he wasn't bragging he wasn't like a braggadocious champion he was just telling you how it was and that yeah he, he's the best and he's gonna win and that's all you can do about it kind of kind of like i said uh you gave him respect because he commanded respect 
if he was in a room, he commanded respect. And it wasn't like he asked for it. It wasn't like you... I mean, if you walked in a room and Harley Race was there and you had never... You don't know this man. You know nothing about pro wrestling. You know nothing. You walk in this room and Harley Race is there. You still showed him the utmost respect because that's just the type of caliber of person in the way in which he carried himself. In the way in which he handled things. He was a very serious sports athlete. And uh, like I said, him breaking down matches could be... uh, He did it to make it look... I I don't want to use the word real, but to make it look just so much better and more over-the-top explosive. And, you know, if you're going to hit him here, you know, take it two inches up and nail him there... You're guaranteed the skin's thin or whatever. It's going to bust him open. It's going to be like, holy crap, he's, you know, he's bleeding from his own bare hands. It just, this man knew so much about the sport of professional wrestling that the, uh, there is no, no way to put into this episode everything that he taught me, but his way, the same way as, the way in which he he was able to teach everyone the same way in which he was able he was able to teach everyone he was able to to sit down and uh, he he was the strongest man I have ever met even in a wheelchair this man would shake your hand and he could pull you down to the floor he just was the strongest man I've ever met and handsome Harley Race he, yes he was the very first king of the ring yes he was known as King Harley but he is and will always be remembered as handsome Harley Race to me and I think to a lot of southern wrestlers and southern wrestling fans he carried so much significance that Vince McMahon tried to sign him because at this time Vince is going through territories and grabbing Piper and grabbing, like you're going to see here, uh, Greg Valentine and going through and grabbing Steamboat and he's going up and he's grabbing the Briscoes and he's going over here and he's grabbing, you know, in Texas, he's grabbing the uh, Kerry Von Erich. And, you know, around this time, he's starting to put his, you know, his feelers out there to start just grabbing all these people from these territories and start eating them up, even back in 83 up till about the time in which you would call it 85, 86, 87. Vince tried to sign him right before this this show went on, and uh, Vince was going to pay him an extra bonus to no-show Starcade 83. And the man, which I don't want to elaborate the money because it was kept private for a reason and no one will ever know, fully the amount but I have heard sitting back listening uh, numbers thrown out there and it was a huge amount of money to no show Starcade 83 and he had so much respect for Ric Flair for the NWA and for that title that he turned him down and told him no I've got to be there and we can talk business after. And I think that that just shows the credibility in which Harley Race 
has, the credibility of the man, the historical aspect of the event, and just the way in which the pride in which he was and felt as a professional wrestler or the pride in which he carried himself as that champion. Because if he had no-showed Starcade 83, I truly believe that that would have been the end of the NWA. This, this is the very first event. This is the very first nationally looked at event. This is before WrestleMania 1. This is before anything else like that. This is the very first wrestling, true wrestling event that gathered everyone around. And uh, you can say Muhammad Ali being a part of uh, with Antonio Inoki and things like that. But I, Starcade was an event that carried forward on a yearly basis like WrestleMania and everything else. It was definitely an, an event that was, uh, was historical in the aspects of the NWA that it was their event moving forward even as WCW. And uh, had he, you know, the champion no-showed this time, this event, after all the time and the effort put into it, I believe it would have he would have been in the history books for another reason, but it would have been a major, major blow to Jim Crockett promotions in the NWA. Starcade 83, even though Harley Race would win the title one more time, which actually wasn't recognized until many years later uh, from the NWA, he won it in New Zealand, and it was uh, won quickly right back by Flair in 1984. And he So he would win it one more time, but this was the uh, passing of a torch of... Uh, the one star to the next and pretty much the end of Harley Race ruling the NWA. And I mean St. Louis was is a huge territory. It's like as far west in the US as wrestling territories go as as it, big as it got. I mean it was like those areas would be covered by whoever's operating there. But Harley Race being a star from St. Louis certainly gave him credibility with the NWA as far as being able to be booked as champion because that Midwest appeal and that Midwest flavor, you're going to appeal to a broad, the broadest variety of fan by booking someone like a Harley race to be your champion. So it was a very successful strategy and he was a reliable hand for them. I mean, they, they handed the belt to him uh, several times. He was between both funk brothers. He, I mean, he had multiple title wins and, uh, yeah, he was the face of the franchise. I mean, that NWA title belt, before the big Goldie version of that belt, I mean, you could probably say it could be most associated with Harley Race and not Ric Flair, because Harley Race is seen most often toning this thing around and not Ric Flair. So. Yeah. So our pick this week was your pick, and we picked Starcade 1983, the closed-circuit telecast from the Greensboro Coliseum in Greensboro, North Carolina. It was on closed circuit around the southern United States, but was affected by some bad weather, so it didn't do quite as well on closed circuit as they would have hoped, because there was like a massive snowstorm, which rarely hits the south, but it was November 24th, so it was winter in the south. So, a very ambitious idea. I wish that they had incorporated some of their 
TV production skills because everyone involved... I mean, localized TV pro wrestling had been going on for a very long time. This was not something new to them. Now, as far as broadcasting it live, you know, not since the early days was it probably broadcast live. Things were were taped and could be edited and then sent out in the mail to the the television stations because this was before even satellite was was the distribution method. But... I wish that they had put a little bit more production value into this. I, I say that knowing that, yeah, this is before WrestleMania one. This is I'll give them some leeway, but at the same time, it's like, come on, guys, you want to make the biggest impression you can, and I just think it needs a little bit more pomp and circumstance as far as uh, the the grandiose nature of it, because it's your flagship event, and this thing, yeah, would go on until the year 2000 and WCW closing in 2001. They didn't obviously get to November of 2001, but it became their flagship event. So you would think out of the gate because you compare it to WrestleMania 1. WrestleMania 1's production values are way better. Now, they did get a chance to watch stuff like this beforehand, but at the same time, first impressions go a long way with me as far as when you're coming out of the gate with... Like, if AEW, like, if Double or Nothing was terrible production value, I'd be like, I'm not really sure about the company. They did all right. They did fine. There were yeah. still some a few gaffes, but um, certainly I thought it needed a little bit more sizzle to the stake. NWA uh, 70, would you compare it to about? <laughs> I would actually say about, yeah, that in... NWA 70, which we saw, what, now almost two years ago or a year ago, um, that was actually, yeah, in the tradition of Starcade 1, was actually very much in line with the production values and stuff, because, you know, if you... But that that was done probably at a fraction of the budget which they actually spent on this Starcade in 1983 dollars, because, yeah. I mean, they did spend money, I mean, they had that overhead camera shot that was very innovative that quite frankly I don't know why we don't use that shot today outside of ladder matches that shot never gets used I don't yeah. know why I mean they had a, a ringside reporter they took you into the locker room which uh, live which wasn't you know something that was done often I mean it had been explored but so there were some innovations on this show I mean we got to see Tony Schiavone, very very young. Tony oh. Schiavone with his uh, chili bowl and no mustache, not young the uh, WCW Saturday Night version we'd get a couple of years later. But they had to strike a balance here because, yeah, they were showing it on closed circuit television, but they're still mainly catering to the live audience, and that's really their number one priority because you can't order it on pay per view. There's only going to be a limited number of people that can get to these theaters or wherever they're showing it to watch it. So you still have to cater to the audience, number one. So they had to walk a very fine line. And as the years would go on, obviously their production value would improve. But it, JCP and WCW never got to WWF's level of production value. For whatever reason, the lighting, the the, the promos, the, the writing. For some reason, they just never got to that level. And... I mean, at points it was close, but they just never... Even in WWF's darkest days, production value-wise, they were still very, very sharp. So, that's my opening critique of Starcade 83 from, yeah, Greensboro, North Carolina. It's November 24th, 
1983, so around Thanksgiving time. So, of course, you know, you got your family in town. You want to drive through a snowstorm to go watch some wrestling? Let's go do it. All right. 15,447 are in attendance for a flare for the gold, which is a tagline that they would use a few more times throughout their history. You know, I think, I hope you actually insert it in, but... You're hearing the, a flair for the gold, and what is it, what is it, what is it? What added credibility to it the most was you have a Halliburton briefcase. You have money sitting all over it. And you have the NWA title, and you have Harley Race. And he's sitting there saying, I'm, I want red of you. I want, I'm tired of you. And, and I hope you actually include it here uh, because he, he's just, you know, Flare for gold, nothing. You know, I'm offering fifty thousand dollars to who can, to whoever can take Ric Flair out of my life, and it just it was great, man. It just was so so real. Like this man just put a bounty on this other guy's head. It was mafia like. It was as real as can you know. It was as real as real could get, feeling wise. That uh, Dick Slater and Cowboy Bob Orton would low, would go on to cash in on that bounty, but uh, I just love that promo, and I think that promo alone is what added fuel to the fire of we gotta we we've got to go and see Starcade '83. Yeah, so in 1981, Flair won the title from Dusty Rhodes in Kansas City, Kansas, and guess what? Didn't get over with the fans too well because Harley Race was not wrestling in Kansas City. So, didn't get over very well, and Flair and Rhodes had not established themselves as big names. The NWA was unhappy with Flair as champion because uh, he wasn't getting over in territories. So, on June 10th, 1983, they had Race win the title from Flair, and it began his seventh reign as the NWA world champion. And they wanted this to happen so that Flair could get a big win over Harley at this event to solidify him as the future, the, the guy, to make it clear that there's no turning back from Ric Flair. And of course, you mentioned, yes, Harley Race offering a bounty to have Flair taken out of pro wrestling. That way he wouldn't have to defend the title. If you can't make it to the match, I don't have to wrestle you. So Bob Orton Jr. and Dick Slater attacked Flair. They hit an aided pile driver and dropped him on the canvas. And people said, oh, it's a serious neck injury. They got the money from Harley Race, Flair said he's retired, but then, amazingly, Patrick, on September 21st, Flair returned and attacked Orton and Slater with a baseball bat. (laughs) So, amazing, he overcame a broken neck and paralysis to get to this title match. That's how bad he wanted it. He was in traction for a week, probably. (laughs) Yeah, the storyline going into the tag team title match was Jerry and Jack Briscoe going against Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood. Their feud started earlier in the year. They were originally friends before the Briscoes turned heel, and they turned on Steamboat and Youngblood. The Briscoes won the title from them on June 18th, and the the match between Greg Valentine and Roddy Piper was to culminate their feud, which stemmed from April 30th, when Valentine used the ring bell and attacked Piper's left ear, and he lost the U.S. Heavyweight Championship and... Allegedly, 75% of hearing in his ear, which also, of course, your inner ear affects balance, which Roddy Piper would teach us about in his match here tonight. <laughs> Go ahead. In that match, uh, 
he actually he goes forward in history to say and it was real uh he did it wasn't 75 percent, but he actually did lose partial hearing in his ear for the rest of his life due to this dog collar match this chain match that you're about to to see later on or hear about later on great kabuki versus charlie brown match we had jimmy valiant in august he was forced to leave he lost loser leaves town match to the great kabuki and amazingly a man that looks sounds and acts exactly like jimmy valiant showed up with a mask and the name charlie brown and was given the opportunity to face the great kabuki here at starcade 83 Uptown Charlie Brown, downtown Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown is here. This event drew a sold-out attendance and made $500,000 at the gate at Greensboro Coliseum. Wow. Closed circuit was affected, like I said, by a winter storm and drew about 30,000 people. But this is what popularized closed circuit television broadcasting for pro wrestling events and continued on until the year 2000. On the WWE Network version of this, we go right to the first match. No time for an intro, no time for a setup. Bob Cottle and Gordon Sully have the call for Starcade 83. First up, the Assassins. Assassin 1 and Assassin 2. Fat Assassin and Ripped Assassin. Taking on Rufus Jones and Bugsy McGraw. McGraw starts with one of the assassins, the fat one. He gives him a giant scoop slam. McGraw moves around the ring like he's got something stuck in his butt, is what I would call it. But he actually jukes and jives more like the junkyard dog. That's how I would describe both of these guys. They they just they dance. They they feel the rhythm, Patrick. So McGraw catches an assassin with an elbow, and then they get into a slug fest that McGraw wins. The assassins then make a tag, but McGraw stays in. The assassin that comes in the ring suffers a scoop slam and a hip toss. Rufus Jones then takes over and hits a bionic elbow. The hard camera, though, falls off the tripod after the assassin, whichever one it was, botched coming off the ropes. He tripped and fell coming off the ropes, and I guess it scared the hard camera operator enough to where he just dropped the fucking camera, so... We have our first production gaff of the night, <laughs> of many. McGraw comes back into the match to take on Assassin Number One. Assassin Number One works an arm bar on McGraw, but it gets reversed, and Jones comes back in. Assassin finally gets Jones down with a couple eye rakes. Then Assassin Number Two comes back in, which we know better as Hercules Hernandez, Assassin Number Two, and goes to work on Jones. Jones hulks up, gets a tag to McGraw. All four of them brawl. McGraw hits an atomic drop on Hercules, back body drops him. But then, assassin number one, fat assassin, fat assassin, comes in without tagging, inside cradles McGraw, and Tommy Young, your refereeing hero, Patrick, (laughs) counts the three. Yes. And just lets the assassins get a win here. Yes. Yeah, the assassins get the win with their manager, Paul Jones. If you're curious, fat assassin was a wrestler named Jody Hamilton. Or Joseph Hamilton, whichever you want to refer him by. And then assassin number two was, yeah, Hercules Hernandez. That was something. The heels will get a lot of wins tonight early on. It was very... This card was booked very straightforward. The heels are going to win most of the matches early. And then the fa- we'll save the faces winning for later in the evening. That's pretty much all it was. And, yeah. So the assassins, which... Just reminded me of every 80s and 90s job squad kind of team. <laughs> you know, just 
put two guys. Oh, here's some mass. You how, can be. How many assassins though has there been? Oh, a million. Like yeah. just like Mr. Wrestling's assassins, anything. Just Hundreds. here's a here's a mask. You're whatever. You're assassin three hundred and seventy six. I mean, and you would think by the time we got to ECW, they would be like, okay, maybe not call one assassin one, assassin two, but no, Pitbull one, Pitbull two. So even <laughs> in the late nineties, we were just saying. You're number one, you're number two, go go out there and have some fun with it. That's true. Bob and Gordon toss to a very young Tony Schiavone who's in the Faces locker room, but he doesn't ask anyone any questions. He is so young, I don't think he's hit puberty yet. He is that young. Flair and Piper chat in the background, and I'm like, Tony, turn around, get an interview. <laughs> but then he just tosses back. The ring announcer, Tom Miller, intros the next match. It's Johnny Weaver teaming with Scott McGee. They're taking on the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan, and Mark Lewin with Gary Hart as their manager. This is a very, very young Kevin Sullivan. The most hair you would ever see on this man's head. Dude, and this was Florida. You're right around this time in Florida Championship Wrestling where he was causing riots because people thought he was a satan worshiper and he was a druid yeah is he what was, he was referred to here he was the devil you know he was he just was a you know possessed by demons just all this stuff and so this is he's riding probably his highest point in territory days right here so sullivan starts with mcgee gets some drop kicks and then he tags out but lewin Tags him right back in. This Lewin guy, not going to do a lot of work here tonight. <laughs> Weaver tags in, works a side headlock on Sullivan. Gordon says, many have accused Sullivan of being a druid, as you discussed. So yeah, uh, all the things Southerners are scared of. Uh, the <laughs> evil Satan man coming for us. A very like PG version of The Undertaker, if that makes sense. Yes. Just, just say, oh... He's with the occult, and don't even yes. he doesn't even have to do anything. Just say it, and yes. they will be scared. Sullivan and Lewin take turns getting the heat on McGee. They keep working over McGee for ages. Lewin grabs a hold of McGee's trapezius muscles for a little while. Weaver then gets a hot tag and hits his Oklahoma Stampede, which is a bulldog to Sullivan, but Sullivan dodges a second one. The heels take over on Weaver and work his arm. Lewin drops a knee on his outstretched arm as McGee was busy arguing with the ref, so the face wrestler cost his own team the match by distracting the ref so that the heels could double-team his partner. So McGee's a big idiot. Uh, one, two, three, the heels get the win, uh, Sullivan and Lewin. But then the faces try to save face, and McGee dropkicks Gary Hart, but then Lewin takes something from his boot, a spike, which is uh, the NWA's preferred weapon of choice here tonight and throughout the 80s. And they just bloody McGee. They beat the shit out of this guy for trying to... How dare you try to, like, hurt our manager. And then Angelo Mosca, who would be a special guest ref later on in the night, runs in, tries to save the faces. No, he gets his ass kicked, too, and gets his arm all bloodied up. So... Congrats! The heels go over again, so if you came here to see faces win matches, you're off to a bad night. Angelo Mosca is best known for being in the uh, Canadian Football League Hall of Fame, but also being on Dr. Phil. What was he on Dr. <laughs> Phil for? Because he was, it was the Hall of Fame banquet, I believe. You'll have to look it up and make sure I'm right on this. 
But him and another football Hall of Famer got into a fist fight on stage. And he took his cane, his actual walking cane, and smacked him across the face with it. And I mean smacked him across the face with it to the point that the guy, the man, the older man was bleeding out of his mouth. And just, it was quite hilarious. Yeah, so not much to this match. It was a lot like the first match, just... Um, I mean, the whole card, there's not going to be a lot of moves. It's just tag teams in control, momentum swings, the other team wins. That's pretty much it. Same thing in the in the singles matches. It's like momentum goes one way, it's mostly just strikes, turns the tide, other guy wins. And that's how it pretty much went all night. Bob and Gordon discuss the attack afterwards. They're just disgusted by what well, this is just sick. This is just a terrible, terrible scene we've Horrible. shown you. Unjust. They toss to Barbara Clary, who's with some fans. Hey, sir, how far did you have to drive to get here? A long way. Who do you want to see win? Ric Flair. Ric Flair, Ric Flair. And uh, so, yeah, the whole family is unified in wanting to see Ric Flair. Even the baby that couldn't speak just nods its head. Yes, Ric Flair, sure. (laughs) Shivani is with Harley Race, the Briscoes, and Greg Valentine back in the heel locker room. Race hates being in Greensboro, and he hates Ric Flair. Race knows Flair's weaknesses, and he's going after him tonight, so watch out, buddy. Okay, we're back here in the dressing room, and I'm, I'm flanked by many champions. Of course, U.S. champion Greg Valentine to my right, the world's tag team champions, Jack and Jerry Briscoe, and of course, you know this man, seven times world's heavyweight champion, Harley Race. And Mr. Race, I'm sure on Thanksgiving Day, the last place you wanted to be was Greensboro, North Carolina, but you're here right now, and I'm sure the fans are interested in some of your thoughts. On any given day, the last place on earth that I would want to be would be Greensboro, North Carolina, facing the situation that I've got to face tonight. But I've been sitting around here talking with a few of my friends that are knowledgeable about Ric Flair. They know his shortcomings. They have been around him for a number of months now, and I'm getting a little bit of insight on what has been happening to Ric Flair in the last few weeks. And please believe me, tonight, Flair, I know what your shortcomings are. I know where you hurt. And I'm going after each and every one of those spots. There you hear it, friends, from seven times world's heavyweight champion Harley Race, a man who says that he is ready. I mentioned all those other hot wrestling territories. Of course, I forgot Puerto Rico. Sorry, I forgot about Puerto Rico. It's Abdullah the Butcher taking on Carlos Colon in a match that was banned in Puerto Rico, which is a flat-out lie, because if you've seen Puerto Rican wrestling from Abdullah the Butcher, you know that they didn't give a fuck about blood, guts. Them trying to sell you on the idea this is too extreme for Puerto Rico just doesn't pan out when you watch Puerto Rican wrestling. Well, no, because they would throw urine and feces on wrestlers coming and going to the ring. So Puerto Rico wrestling was a very difficult place to... They took it seriously. Oh, man, they did. I guess that's the best way to put it. It was very difficult to to be a wrestler there. The Butcher lays out Cologne with several strikes and a clothesline. Cologne comes back with some strikes. He uses a foreign object, which was originally in Abdullah's pants. Abdullah tried to get it out earlier. Another spike-looking thing. And, of course, Cologne just goes right to the head of Abdullah the Butcher, who, if you've seen this man's head, has taken many a, many a shot to his head. It'll hold a quarter in the middle of his 
scars. They're they're that deep. That's disturbing. Then Cologne bites Abdullah. Abdullah, of course, starts bleeding. So we have our first. Well, no, we have our, our we have our third bleeding person of the night, and it's only match three. <laughs> Cologne puts a spike in the butcher's mouth. The ref takes a bump and an elbow from the butcher after Cologne tries to pin him. Cologne then takes the butcher down, starts working his leg. He puts the butcher in a figure four. Then Hugo Savinovich, WWE commentary legend here, comes in. Hits Cologne with a foreign object, which is never identified, and the butcher crawls over. One, two, three. The heel wins the match again. So there you go. Um, three up, three down. It wasn't quite as extreme as I was expecting it from Cottle and Gordon's selling. Up. Oh, it's banned in Puerto Rico. Yeah, oh, just no. hold off. Even though you just saw people get spikes to the face and bleed. And this match was spikes to the face and bleed. So, not exactly that extreme. But this was before, you know, false count anywhere matches were televised, and they knew. I mean, they only they had cords on their camera. They they were limited in what they could do. So they yeah. just they gave you uh, a generic match. By the way, Cologne and Abdul the Butcher would go on to feud for the next decade so uh, there's plenty <laughs> of tape on these two guys wrestling each other we go backstage again to Angelo Mosca who has a taped up arm from the earlier attack but says he's still going to ref the match later tonight nothing's going to keep him from refing it and blood is thicker than water which I've always heard that saying and I don't actually know if it's true Patrick well I mean would you like for me to take out a spike and <laughs> find out I well, can it depends, I guess, on how thin your blood is, really, because it could be close. Uh, I Blood probably is thicker than water. I mean... I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, but, uh, you know, as we've seen from some hardcore matches that we've watched on this podcast, it can be really close. <laughs> it can look like you've been doused in red water. Yes. Uh, they say, who do you think will win, Angelo? And Angelo says, Flair will win. It was unanimous tonight. Nobody picked Harley Race to win this match. Barbara is with another pair of fans. She says, hey, you two ladies, was it worth the drive? And they're like, yeah, sure. And she says, hey, who's your favorite wrestler? And one of them says, Charlie Brown, which made me think that this is like someone that Jimmy Valiant knew and invited to the show because (laughs) on what planet does someone say Charlie Brown to who's your favorite wrestler? And then the other gal, she liked Ric Flair. And but for the main event, they both pick Ric Flair. Up next, Cowboys versus the Native Americans match, uh, as we have... It's the Wild West all over again. It is. Boy, it is the 80s. Uh, the, the most common 80s gimmicks, Cowboys and Native Americans, as we have Wahoo McDaniels and Mark Youngblood, the Native Americans taking on Cowboy Dick Slater and Cowboy Bob Orton. Oh, the Rebel Pride's running through Dick Slater's veins. He's pumped up. Tom Miller introduces a special guest who would be Dusty Rhodes, but guess what? It's JCP. It's 1983. We go to Dusty Rhodes for an interview, which by, he takes a while to get to the ring. He finally gets to the ring. Microphone doesn't work. And the camera can't find him anyway. So this is ditched. We would have to get back to Dusty later. Again. Wahoo starts against Slater, but quickly tags out, and Young Blood takes over. Wahoo... He knew how to earn his money tonight, and that was by doing as little as possible. (laughs) 
The NWO takes an overhead shot of the ring, which is amazing, and then they they praise the camera guy that's actually strung up there, which I sincerely hope that he was on like a platform and not just like dangling off wires from the Greensboro Coliseum, but I'm sure there was a, a platform up there. That would be great if he was just dangling off wires. But it, this was before robotic cameras or drones or any kind of robotic camera you, system. You would think though that they could just go up there, turn it on, set it, and leave it. Well, like put a you know a, a harness to it. Or yeah, something. that's that's what I thought too. But later on in the night when they use it, he actually zooms in. Someone zooms in on it, and there's no way that JCP yeah. had the way to remotely zoom in on it. So, uh, pretty impressive. Youngblood and Orton go about 50-50 here, but Orton tags in, takes over with a knee and a backbreaker to Youngblood. Orton and Slater talk over strategy against Youngblood. Oh, they weren't expecting him to come into the match. Orton hits a backbreaker to Youngblood again, and Orton drops an elbow on him. Slater then gut-wrenches him. He goes out of the ring and gets his ass kicked by Orton. Slater and Orton just have their way with Youngblood here. We get a huge stomp from Orton to Youngblood, and he goes to a chin lock. Slater suplexes Youngblood for a near fall. Youngblood finally makes the tag to Wahoo. Wahoo beats down the heels until Slater stomps the shit out of him after Orton trips him. Slater Russian leg sweeps Wahoo, and Wahoo, man, this guy, this Russian leg sweep was devastating to Wahoo McDaniels as he could barely kick out of three pinfall attempts as he, I think they had mercy on him as Slater just got up and broke the pin three times because Wahoo was out from this Russian leg sweep. Orton and Slater take over on Wahoo, but he fires up. Atomic drop to Slater, Youngblood comes in, double back elbow, and a leg drop from Youngblood. Youngblood gets his finisher blocked, but drop kicks Orton and Slater a few times. Wahoo and Slater then brawl on the outside. Youngblood misses a drop kick to Orton after Orton hooks the ropes to dodge it. The heels then post Youngblood. Orton superplexes him and gets the win as Wahoo was late for the save. Wahoo then comes in and gets his ass beat too. So again, the faces go down in a tag team match on Starcade 83. The faces are 0 for 4 thus far tonight, so I think we have a sense of how things are going to go the rest of the night. Slater and Orton then try to break Wahoo's arm after the match is over. And uh, Slater, he was going to drop a knee from the post, and he was like, Nah, I'm not going to really do that because I might fuck it up. <laughs> and he drops it from the apron instead. But Youngblood, or not Youngblood, uh, Orton, he goes from the post, and he's like, fuck it, I'll do it. And uh, yeah, they both try to uh, break Wahoo McDaniel's arm after the match. So, to be continued in this one. Wahoo didn't do a damn thing in this match, so he deserved to get his arm broken as he was just there to be there. I love Wahoo McDaniels. A lot of, look, a lot of people like this guy, but every match I've seen of him, he's just stood there. But, I mean, he was at the end of his wrestling career. Yeah, his younger career, though, he was very, I mean, very well. Tony's back in the Faces locker room. He's with Flair, Steamboat, and Jay Youngblood. Different Uh Youngblood. Flair says he hopes Race is prepared because he's been studying up. It's weird to see Ric Flair as a good guy in 1983. Well, we're back in the dressing room with, and I'm sure I don't have to introduce these men, Nature Boy Ric Flair, former heavyweight champion, and, uh, of course, uh, Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood here with us. Rick, I've been over in Harley's dressing room, Harley Race's dressing room. He's been talking to his friends, he says, and he, he says he has something prepared, and I was wondering what you think of that. Well, I hope that he is prepared for the match of a lifetime because <clears throat> myself... 
Rick Steamboat, Jay Emblem, we sit here. We know that in a very few moments, we're gonna be climbing into that ring with all the marbles on the line. I've prepared myself as hard mentally and physically as I can prepare myself. I'm ready for anything. And I wanna take this opportunity in front of all these wonderful people who have supported us to wish Jay Youngblood and Rick Steamboat all the luck in the world. I know they've helped me. This is our night, and we're not gonna let anybody down. Well, I'll tell you what, Rick. You've worked long and hard for it, and to me, and I know to the people that are watching, the Starcade 83 are the deserving world heavyweight champion. I know that you've trained with Rick and myself at Rick's gym, and it's, and it's taken a toll because you've proven to everybody around the area exactly what the flair for the gold means. Now Rick and I have got a match against Jack and Jerry Briscoe, probably one of the most important matches of our entire life, Rick. Yeah, Everything so, so, goes. Jason, this, right. is, this, is going, this is our most important match. We're going for the gold for an unprecedented fifth time. We're ready, we're mentally prepared, and without a doubt, Jack and Gerald Briscoe, you will see your inevitable end coming soon. Three men who are going for the gold. Now we've seen four exciting matches so far. We have some highlights of those matches to show you right now. And he actually does look young here, by the way. Like Very young. Because he's a guy also that I always thought looked old because of the, the white hair. But he actually does look young here. It's also weird seeing Ric Flair telling, Hey, Ricky Steamboat, good luck in your match tonight, buddy. <laughs> so then Jay Youngblood, oh no, take the mic away from this young man. He cuts a terrible promo, and Steamboat has to cut him off and try to bail him out, but it's just too late. He just fucking sucks at working the mic. Uh, Jay Youngblood, by the way, passing away at the age of 30 just two years later. Really crazy, like, uh, how early his career was cut short. But well, How did he die? During a wrestling tour of the South Pacific, Youngblood was experiencing abdominal pain, went to the hospital, and he was diagnosed with pancreatitis. He started to develop sepsis and kidney failure. He developed kidney failure before suffering a series of heart attacks. He was in a coma for two weeks before finally passing away in September of 1985 in Australia. Wow. So, really crazy, really terrible end. That's uh, horrible. Yeah, at the age of 30. But not to disparage him, he needed some work on his promos in 1983. <laughs> Barbara is with Dusty Rhodes. Again. Finally, time to get this big interview. But this time, her mic cuts out. Dusty then cuts about half of a promo because the mic just keeps dropping out. But they have nowhere else to go, so they give up on it. To be continued, we will get this Dusty Rhodes promo. Come hell or high water. The NWA TV title match is next. It's Charlie Brown, Jimmy Valiant, taking on the great Kabuki. Mask against title. Which, wouldn't it just be devastating if Jimmy Valiant lost his mask? Jimmy Valiant attacks Kabuki with a chair outside of the ring. I guess that's fine. In 1983. And crotches him on the buckles. Valiant just stomps Kabuki's dick right in the middle of the ring. Valiant walks in the sleeper, but gives it up and goes right back to it. Kabuki gets his foot under the ropes, which breaks it up. Kabuki locks on the claw, my favorite move. But Valiant fights out, back body drops Kabuki, and gets a super kick from Kabuki for his troubles. Kabuki then hits a chop off the buckle, puts Valiant in the claw again. Valiant makes it to his feet after about a minute of this, but then Kabuki decks him in the face. Kabuki drops the claw from the buckle. He dropped from the buckle just to apply the vicious claw to the head. Kabuki, though, gives up on it after a while as Valiant fires up. 
But then Kabuki stops him. He tries to unmask Charlie Brown, but he fails. Then he hits a spinning heel kick to Charlie Brown, but Jimmy Valiant fires up, drops an elbow to Kabuki. One, two, three, out of nowhere, and we have a new TV title holder as Gary Hart smacks the ring in disgust. And Bob and Gordon then afterwards, they almost, they tease a dusty finish here as they were like, we don't know if he won it within the 15-minute time limit, so we'll just have to see if this holds up. Like, do you guys not keep count during the match? Like, they usually do that, but... They tease a dusty finish. This this would stand, and Charlie Brown would be the TV champion. So, finally, a face gets over. A face in a mask, so you don't even know. In in the fifth match of the, of the night. Yeah, ha- over halfway through. Yeah. But, it, like I said, it was split about half and half, and it was just all the heels here, and then all the faces here. And so, yeah, if you were... If you were a fan of babyface wrestlers, you were probably really pissed up until this point. And even then, you'd probably be like, yeah, I wanted a good guy to win, but not Charlie Brown. Fuck this. Bob and Gordon interview a radio guy. I don't know his name. And he says Ric Flair will win. Gordon and Bob then stall until we can go to Tony again. He's with Harley Race, Bob Orton, and Dirty Dick Slater. Orton and Slater scouted Flair, and they brag about collecting the bounty for beating... Ric Flair, even though they didn't do the job, so really Harley Race should say, I'd like my money back, please, because I'm about to wrestle him here tonight, so uh, it didn't quite work. Uh, they brag about beating Wahoo down. Then Harley Race puts over the pile driver that they gave to Flair, even though it didn't work. So, whatever. Fans, not too long ago, these two men right here, Dick Slater and Bob Orton Jr., collected $25,000 from world champion Harley Race. A bounty on Ric Flair, and of course it put Flair in the hospital, put him out for a time, but Bobby's here for Starcade 83. Ric Flair did come back, and I'll tell you something, it wasn't without the help of one Wahoo McDaniels. Now Harley Race has been the world heavyweight champion seven times. He paid us the 25 grand, we collected it. If it wasn't for McDaniels, we'd have got Flair and put him back in the hospital again. But the cold hard fact of the matter is, Flair does have his match. But like I just said, seven time world champion, Harley Race with the information he's gathered from men like Dick Slater and myself, I feel like he will have no more trouble <laughs> beating Ric Flair than we just did Wahoo McDaniels. I think we turned his arm into mush sticky. The thing about it is, Flair is not out of hot water yet. Because this man right here, being the world's heavyweight champion seven times, and being in probably some of the toughest matches, of course now, being able to have to go in a cage match, Harley, I look at it like <clears throat> Jimmy Crockett, the National Wrestling Alliance. You know, they, they did this because they figured Bob Orton Jr. Dick Slater and Harley Race would conspire to putting Ric Flair out again. Well, Ric Flair is not out of the hot water yet because he still has to wrestle this man. And I don't believe Harley Race is going to take it very easily. Let me say this straight to you, Ric Flair. I know you're watching just like I watched a few minutes ago when the camera was in the other dressing room. I'm with the two people that probably know you better than you know yourself. This right now, this picture of the three, you will remember when I hit that ring. You remember when we spiked your head and a pile driver into that canvas and I'm coming for that neck, buddy. That's my whole ball game all night long is your neck 
and the elimination of Ric Flair. Fans, you heard it from the dressing room of the world's heavyweight champion. Stupid heels. Uh, stupid baby faces, stupid heels. It's just wrestling. Dusty Rhodes. We finally get to talk to Dusty Rhodes. Thank goodness. We've spent most of our night waiting for this. He's with Barbara and a working microphone. Finally. That's the biggest star of Starcade is a working microphone. They're backstage. He says he's going to challenge the winner. He actually does. He's the one guy that picks Harley Race to win the match. Why? Because Harley Race is a bad guy. So, good guy would want the bad guy, of course, in his match. But he does say he doesn't care who wins, which is good, because I have a feeling he's not going to get his way tonight. You know, Bubba, we're here on, a, on the biggest event in the, in the history of wrestling, Dusty Rhodes and American Dream. Anywhere that there has been a big event in the past five, six, seven, eight years, Dusty Rhodes and American Dream, two-times world heavyweight champion, is here. They have asked me many questions tonight. I'm here celebrating this. I'm parting down, challenging the winner of this match to meet Dusty Rhodes so I can be third times World Heavyweight Champion once again. But the thing that is really pressing is who will win this match? Harley Race, the folk hero, seven times World Heavyweight Champion, a man known all over the world with stamina and just complete drive and guts right inside him to be seven times World Heavyweight Champion. And the nature boy, Ric Flair, right here in his home home place, you understand? All his home people around him, a flair for the gold, Starcade 83. For me to pick a winner, either one. I can handle the situation for the third time. I want to make that challenge right now, but I'm going to go right out on a limb. And I'm going to say just real easy that the folk hero, the legend, cannot be denied. And you know who the folk hero is. Harley Race. Starcade 83, I'm coming for you when this one's over, Daddy. The Man of Steel, Dusty Rose. Power to this Starcade 83 is fantastic, Barbara. The man who wins is going to have to work for the belt, but he's going to have to work a lot harder to keep it. Now back to Tom. Up next is Roddy Piper and Greg Valentine in a dog collar match, which the announcers were confused and thought was for the U.S. belt. It was not. They start with a big tug of war as they were hooked up with the chain and the dog collars. Both guys wearing blue trunks, blue pads, blue boots. They were wearing the same outfit, so it was kind of annoying. Though they do look quite different. Piper uses the chain as a whip on Valentine and he ducks some chain shots from Greg the Hammer. They brawl and Piper catches Hammer with a chain shot and just batters him in the corner. Hammer battles back with elbows and chains to the face. Then Hammer chokes Piper with the chain and also wraps it around Piper's eyes. Or Piper actually kind of helps put it around his eyes, <laughs> which was a nice thing for him to do. A cool spot. Piper escapes, chokes Hammer with a chain in his mouth. Piper then traps Hammer in the corner with the chain and decks him a few times. A few chain shots open up the hammer and we have another bleeder. The hammer comes back with a choke from the chain to Piper. They brawl outside, Piper tosses a chair in Hammer's face to distract him. He retakes the upper hand. The ref causes Piper to get caught in the ear with the chain as he was trying to stop Piper from beating Greg the Hammer Valentine in this no DQ match. He was like, please, please Roddy, stop. And in doing this, caused Piper to get hit in the ear. This opens up Piper. He's bleeding now, too, and he's selling his ear by being off balance because he's got that inner ear injury, Patrick. Hammer just decks him with the chain when they return to the ring. They brawl some more. We get a big elbow from Hammer for a two count. He repeats it for another two count. He misses a third elbow, and Piper drags him down with the chain, stomps him to a huge reaction from the crowd. He beats him down with the chain. 
Hammer goes back to the ear, though, starts striking it. Hammer drops a knee on Piper for a near fall. Then Piper suplexes Hammer to stop the beating, or suplays him. Suplays, as, as they called it all night long. Yes, they are suplays, not suplexes in 1983 <laughs> Jim Crockett promotions. Valentine uses the sleeper, but Piper chain shots him to escape. Hammer then hits an elbow from the buckle, but Piper yanks him down. And then Piper beats him down with the chain, hooks his legs with the chain for a cover, and one, two, three, and this gets the biggest reaction of the night from the crowd thus far as finally a face wrestler that they like. Another weird thing to see Roddy Piper wrestling as the good guy. Wouldn't really see that again until, what, WCW in the late 90s? So WrestleMania 8, probably. Who did he battle at WrestleMania 8? For the IC title, he took on Bret Hart. Oh, well, they were both kind of playing yeah. faces there. So, yeah. But it would be many years later before they saw Piper as a good guy again. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, no title on the line. So, Greg the Hammer Valentine keeps his United States Championship as they couldn't give it to Piper because Piper was out the door. So, yeah, he was going to New York and he didn't need this fucking belt. <laughs> Hammer gets all his heat back here as he beats down Piper and the ref as the ref gets, even though the ref helped him, before Piper finally slips his chain and gets out. And then he grandstands and hot dogs with the chain after the match, which just, uh, yeah, he was, he had WWF written all over him when he was swinging the chain around, acting like a, like a fucking maniac after the match, even though he just got beat down right before that. This isn't as good as that Starcade 85 match, like the, those cowbell matches or whatever. This is good, but it's it's actually probably the best Greg the Hammer Valentine match that I've seen. <laughs> and I don't have a plethora of his work to really compare it to, but... You're not a fan of, of Greg the Hammer. No, because I hate how he sells. And in this match, it makes sense. So when he gets hit in the head with a chain, he takes a minute and he drops. That's fine. And, and, and Flair does this too, but he only does it once a match. But Hammer does this almost every every hit he takes when he needs to take a bump rather than taking a flat back back bump he gets hit he stalls and then he falls forward or he falls backwards if he's feeling frisky that day um so in this match it actually kind of made sense that okay it took a second like there's a delay from your brain getting hit with a chain from it to like circulate through your body and then you drop okay i'll give him the benefit of the doubt so (laughs) In this match, I'll give him a passing grade. This is the best Greg the Hammer Valentine match that I've ever seen, even though I think he's just garbage. He is just trash. We go back to Tony, who's with Ric Flair. Rick is upset with the beatdown of Wahoo from earlier in the night, and he says Harley Race better stop him at any cost because he's coming for that belt. As the minutes tick by, we're getting closer to a flair for the gold. Ric Flair versus Harley Race for the World's Heavyweight Championship, and Rick, I was... Of course, Justin Harley's dressing room. Uh, he was in there with Sl- Slater and Orton, and uh, Wahoo McDaniel is also with us. And you, you saw what they did to Wahoo, and, and they seem like pretty happy men right now. Well, they should be happy for the moment because tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day, they're not going to be very happy at all because whatever they've done to Wahoo McDaniels, and we don't know the extent of his injury yet, they're going to have to face up to in the very near future. In the very near future. As for Harley Race, Race, I want you to get in that ring and I want you to do everything in the world to keep me from winning that heavyweight championship because that's the kind of match I expect out of you. You're a heck of a man. I'll never take that away from you, Race. But I'm ready. And thanks to Wahoo McDaniels, 
And thanks to Steamboat and thanks to Youngblood, I'm prepared. Wahoo played a major part in getting me to where I am today. And I want Wahoo to know that if in the future he needs anything from me at any time, he can count on me. Race, count the moments, brother, because we're going to get in that cage. And you're not going to have Orton and Slater. You're just going to have Ric Flair to contend with. Wahoo, this man's ready. Well, you know, I know he's ready. And I'm, and I'm glad they paid me a compliment by saying that I got him ready for this and helped him. But the man didn't have to come to me because I've wrestled against him and I've wrestled with him and I've been in the gym with him. I've been jogging down the road, brother, when it was hard to run, when we were sore, we're tired. Orton and Slater's trying to take over. They're trying to hurt him again. But he got here. He's here for the flare for gold, brother. And I'll tell you one thing. I'll bet all my money on Ric Flair. And I'm going to be there and I'm going to see it. And I'm going to see history made right here in North Carolina because the world's heavyweight champion Chip Belt is coming right back to Charlotte Flair and I guarantee you I'm behind you 100%. Fans, the man is ready. Wahoo is sitting next to him and he says Flair, I know you're ready. A tag team title match is next with special guest ref Angelo Mosca and the belts can change hands on a DQ. But as we've seen tonight, there are no DQs at Starcade 83, so don't worry about that. You know we were talking about like serious believable champions Jerry Briscoe here was just a couple years earlier than this was the NWA champion and he was a very serious believable champion I thought Jack was the champion or Jack I'm sorry not Jerry yeah Jack it's odd when you see wrestlers move down the card but in this case, I guess he just wanted to wrestle, maybe bring Jerry up by coming down to the tag team level. So, yeah, it is strange, though, because you, you really never see that now. Like, you no. don't, you're not going to see Randy Orton just all of a sudden form a tag team with somebody and just that's it forever and ever. Like, yeah. so it's a very strange thing. I can't think of a world champion that's done that. And I mean, they've been moved down the card, certainly. Like, I guess you could say, like, Miz maybe is, like, a good example of that. A guy that just never is going to get shuffled back up. But he didn't just stick in a tag team, though. Like, yeah. This might be, like, one of the rare instances of that yeah. where... Jack Briscoe was a legitimate badass champion uh, right before Harley Race took it back from him. But, I mean, still, though, it's, it's odd to see him as... A tag team like we were discussing. I guess you could make the case, though, that in NWA and in 1983, being a tag team champion was supposed to be on the same level as being a world champion. Belts weren't... It's not like we do today where we know in our mind, like, we have a chart of, like, importance and relevance. And if they're actually trying to treat this as sport, then there's really no difference between the world champion and the tag team champion, other than that he wrestles with a partner. Yeah. So that's, I guess, my only explanation for it. But the Briscoes, they use quick tags and keep Steamboat at bay. Steamboat escapes a wrist lock from Jack with a deep arm drag. Youngblood comes in and takes over against Jerry. Steamboat comes in, though, and chops the arm of Jerry. Youngblood does it as well for a near fall, so we have back and forth here. The faces keep Jerry away from Jack until he finally gets the hot tag. Jack drops a knee on Steamboat, locks in a chin lock, back drops him, follows it with a double underhook souple for a two count. 
We get a key lock from Jack to Steamboat. Steamboat then deadlifts Jack, who did not help him at all, and then drops him to escape. Then Youngblood gets the hot tag, runs wild on the heels, but Jack stops it with a souffle. The Briscoes hit a double shoulder block to Youngblood, and then Jerry gets the tag. Jerry rolls Youngblood up from an abdominal stretch, and the ref, Mosca, then shoves him away as this ref has turned against the heels here. This guy that was supposed to call it down the middle, Mosca, shoves him away. So, no pinfall here. Steamboat gets a hot tag, chops Jerry down, drops a forearm. Double chop from Steamboat and Youngblood. Assisted drop kick from Youngblood. And Youngblood and Steamboat keep making hot tags, isolating Jerry from Jack. Steamboat press slams Youngblood onto Jerry. One, two, three. Angelo counts the fall, and the Briscoes lose the belts, but get all their heat back as they beat down the faces and the ref after the bell. And Angelo was going to get his ass kicked for a second time tonight. Finally, Jay Youngblood and Ricky Steamboat finally clear them out. And get the belts to a huge reaction as a face wrestler has captured a title and he's not Charlie Brown, so the crowd is finally just thrilled with this. And Ricky Steamboat, you could tell, was going to be a big star. Oh, I mean, he was huge, yeah. His physique, the way he moved, his, his arm drags are the best probably yeah. in the history of the wrestling business. Right, And yeah. he was just destined for greatness and it's it's a shame his career was really relatively in pro wrestling terms short um but just he was the breakout star of this match so and it, and he didn't even do most of the work young blood actually got most of the work but that's i think to kind of keep steamboat from being exposed uh, you know in his weaknesses but yeah um this was a fine match this is probably the best tag match of the night and you would expect so with the talent involved here so then they run credits after the match. So they got to build that cage. And in 1983, cages didn't just drop out of the sky, Patrick. No, man. You got to build them hand by hand, brick by brick, or I guess in cage, chain link by chain link. Yes. So now it is time to stall as we have an intermission before the main event. We see the nature boy pacing around backstage then we get the promo train, and it's coming in for the faces as Charlie Brown cuts a promo, and boy, he he made no attempt to cover up that he was Jimmy Valiant. No. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, he basically said, hey, thanks, Jimmy. He even thanked himself in yeah. his promo. Then Piper walks in, cuts a promo. He's happy, even though he didn't win the belt. The new tag champs walk in. They cut a promo. We go back to Cottle and Gordon, who kill some more time. Then Dusty is out with the fans. He's now a ringside reporter. Hey, hey there, buddy. What do you think? Who's going to win this match here? <laughs> so Dusty gets some predictions from fans. They go back to Coddle and Gordon to kill some more time. Then to kill some more time, they had James Tiny Week sing the national anthem. Oh, man. Gee, this was... This poor man, I don't know who he is. Okay? It was rough. Oh, well, I... As usual, skip most of this, but I did catch the very end when he tried to hit the high note. He should have never gotten near that. This he was... should have stayed in his own lane and just... If you talk your way through this thing, no one will bat an eye. But when you do what he did with this answer... Oh, he's trying to, like, opera slash country sing this, and it's it's bad, man. It's really, really bad. <laughs> it's, it's bad. Yeah, America would not be proud no. of this national anthem. No, no. 
Now, Starcade 83. I don't want to say they telegraphed who would win this match, but they give Ric Flair his entire Ric Flair entrance, complete with disco ball in the sky, laser light show, dry ice, and his theme music, and the crowd just goes apeshit. And it's also in Greensboro, so it's like, even if he was a heel, he would still get the reaction. His robe, this is the best robe he ever wore. This oh, is, I agree. This is a beautiful, beautiful yes. robe. Yes. Because it's it's not like his later robes, which this is more like a macho man robe where it had the draping underneath yeah. the arms. Yeah. Which, I don't know why he went away from that. But this just was, had, It was like the giant W cape. And yeah. so it was, oh god, it was beautiful. It really, genuinely, this light blue robe was amazing. And then he gets sort of the halfway Goldberg entrance with a police escort to the ring. Real sport. It's like uh, the college football coaches are with the state troopers. Well, so. like I discussed at this, you know, the past WrestleMania when talking about Charlotte got the, the Ric Flair Star K-83 entrance. That light behind him where you just... She got the Clash of Champions entrance this past year. Oh, where she comes in on the helicopter. helicopter. Yeah. yeah, but then she comes out and she's got like that bright light behind her or whatever. And you just see the silhouette of Ric Flair and the robe, and then just as he emerges out through the smoke. God, it was amazing. 83 to the T. As best as they could get, they went all out for Ric Flair. Harley Race, he gets no music. Uh, at least on the network version, I don't know. He never he... came out to music. Okay, yeah, he said fuck music. He's serious. He's not here to... Not here for pomp and circumstance. He's here to fight. He gets a police escort to the ring as well, and he's in his very uh, iconic blue and red robe, and uh, he gets the police escort and comes into the ring, and we have a special guest ref for this match as well, Gene Kaniski. So there you go. Lots of stalling here. More stalling as, boy, we gotta get this thing to three hours, guys. We gotta get it to three hours. What the fuck do we do? Okay. Uh, Kaniski, go check them for objects. Okay, we'll check everything. Check every pocket of their... Tights. Check, he's checking the uh, the turnbuckle pads. Oh, yeah. Finally, they start the match after the introductions. Flair woos, of course, as he normally does. Flair chops Race, puts him in a side headlock. Race pushes him to the ropes and knees him to escape. Flair puts Race in a chin lock, but Race escapes with a knee, but misses his standing headbutt. Flair works another chin lock for a while. Race reverses it and suplays Flair. Race misses a big elbow, but stops a flare scoop slam and gets a two count. Race chokes him with his knee, but Kaniski drags him away, so we have another ref who's taking liberties with the heels here. Race pile drives Flair for a near fall, also a callback to the uh, spot that tried to end Flair's career. This only gets a two count. His neck is totally fine now, but Race doesn't give up on the neck, hits a swinging neck breaker, only gets a two count. Power slams Flair for a two count. Flair then starts throwing strikes to Harley's midsection, but Harley stops him, hits his standing headbutt, but Flair no-sells it and just crawls away. Then Flair gets flung into the cage. Race keeps Flair in the corner, but he answers with an uppercut, and then Flair starts to bleed as his white hair would go red once again in the many, many matches of Ric Flair. Flair reverses a whip to the buckles and slows Race down. Race gets thrown into the cage. Flair hits a snapmare in his signature knee drop, and then Harley is busted open from this. Pile driver from Flair to Harley Race for a near fall. Flair snaps Harley's neck and hits a double underhook souffle for a two count. 
Flair and Kaniski get into it for a second, as Flair was supposed to be the babyface here, but I don't know why he's pissed off with the ref. This allows Harley Race to wake up. Harley throws Flair into the fence and headbutts him. Flair mounts Harley for some right hands and woos as he dismounts him. Side suplay to Harley Race, and Flair does the figure four, but Harley Race reverses the pressure and escapes. Race headbutts Flair, hits a flying headbutt, but he sells the effect of the flying headbutt himself. Don't you hate it when you do a move that hurts you more? So it only gets a two count when he finally crawls over. Race vertical suplexes Flair for a two count. Kaniski. Kaniski pulls Race away from Flair when he chokes him against the cage with his boot. These guys should have gotten a rundown of the rules. There are none. Just count a three or say somebody quits. That's all you have to do. Gene Kaniski is very old school and you're going to follow the rules. Period. We don't care if there's a cage or not. Flair blocks a suplex and hits one of his own. Race dodges an elbow from Flair and headbutts Kaniski when he was tangling with Flair on his feet, so Kaniski takes a bump. Flair hits a flying head scissors from the buckle. Seriously, that's what happened. I don't know. It was supposed to be a crossbody, but his legs end up going more into Harley's head, so he hits a flying head scissors to Harley Race, and Kaniski amazingly wakes up and counts the three as Flair wins the title off a flying head scissors from the buckle. Seriously, that's how Ric Flair won a match in his career. The faces then all come into the ring to celebrate with Flair. Even his wife, wife number one maybe? Don't know. There's been a lot. (laughs) Flair then cuts a promo after the match where he's just, oh, he's just, oh, thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Just not the nature boy at all here. Then we get Rick Chance, and he tries to cut more thank you promos. Then, hey, we gotta fill some time here, guys. We haven't got to the three hours. We paid for three hours. We're gonna get you to three hours. So we go to the back. Tony interviews him. Guess what he has to say? The exact same fucking thing he said out in the ring. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Then we get a champagne party as Dusty Rhodes is going to come in and party with Ric Flair. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, I'm happy to announce a new world's heavyweight champion, Nature Boy Ric Flair. Ric, it started back when we were in your house months ago, and here we are, world's champion. Oh, geez, it started started long before that. And I just don't know how to express it. I know how to say thank you to to Ricky Steamboat, to Jay Yumba, to Wahoo, to Rufus, to Jim Crockett you to all the wonderful people out there that had the confidence and the faith in me to stand behind me when I was down, when I was out, when nobody knew what my career looked like the next day. Everybody played such a major part in this. The guys that trained with me day in and day out, Jesus, Steamboat worked out with me every day. Youngblood did. Walter McDaniels helped me. Ricky. Thank you very much. You did it. Brother, I couldn't have done it without you, and I can't thank you. I can't thank you enough. Oh, brother, you had it in you. You had it in you. It just took a little drive. Thank you very much. You owe me one, brother. Rick, anytime, anything you want, it's yours. Remember that. I can't say enough. Thank you. Thank you. There he is, the world's heavyweight champion, Nature Boy Ric Flair. And, oh, it's it's just an exciting moment here in the... Here in the dressing room. Let's right now. Hold on a second. It's Dusty Rhodes. Congratulations. Won't you remember one thing, Daddy? Down the road, there's one more dream yet to feel. One more dream, two times world champion. There's only two of us. There's a time coming. Down the road. One more dream, Daddy. 
Well, that's true. What about that, right Now, I want to celebrate the dream that everybody's made possible for me tonight. Thank you very, very Set much. Set toast to the new world heavyweight champion. Yeah. All right. Nature Boy Ric Flair, second time world heavyweight champion. And what a scene here in the dressing room. Oh, good buddies. But says, oh, hey, uh, down the road, baby. Uh, there's one more. There's one more, daddy. And this is with the dream. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see about that. Barbara, need to fill more time, guys. Not done. Not done. Barbara is with Harley. He says, hell, I did it seven times. I can do it eight. <laughs> okay. So not too distraught over this at all. Harley Race is just business as usual. I'll, I'll get it again. I don't, I don't really care. Whatever. Harley, I'm sorry. And what can I say, Barbara? Other than I did it seven times. There's not a thing on a face of God's green earth that stands in my way of doing it eight times. Other than the likes of the Dusty Roads and the ultimate Ric Flair and a few people in that category. I've been there. I've done it all. Flair, this is your night of glory. The night that was arranged for you. Please, please believe me when I tell you this. That I'm not packing it up and going away and hide. I'm going to hound you like you've never been hounded before in your life. You drove me absolutely insane for six months. I'll guarantee you that you're going to live through hell until you meet me again. Ric Flair worked hard for the belt, but he's going to have to work even harder to keep it. Gordon, back to you. Then we get another interview with Flair and the new tag champs, and it's more of the same. Thank you. You're great. You're great, too. Just high fives all around, guys. Still not enough time. Still not done. Bob and Gordon then have to fill some more time. And then we get highlights from the main event, and we're finally out of Starcade 83, which had to get to three hours, and they were going to make sure they got there. So, main event, very good for 1983-style wrestling. I mean, moves, not abundant in this pay-per-view. Even for great wrestlers like Ricky Steamboat, not doing a lot of moves. So, you can't, and you can't really judge it because no pro wrestling was doing the kind of shit we see today. So, it's, like I said when we started this thing, it was hard for me to judge it yeah. In 2019, because totally different this era. This is old school grappling, power, brawling, brawling, wrestling. Yeah. Two guys that you they go in there and you believe they're going to beat the shit out of each other, and one's going to the hospital. You didn't have a lot of jumping hurricanes. You didn't have any of that shit. You didn't. You know, it was very old school based wrestling, and so. This closed-circuit presentation overall, for the first time out of the gate, it was acceptable. There was some really bad production gaps, especially with the Dusty Rhodes mic stuff. <laughs> uh, the hard camera dropping at the first part. There were some other camera cuts that were really bad, and some of that was bad directing. I hate to say it. I don't know if it was Craig Leathers in 1983. I don't know who was actually punching the show, but... You gotta be on it, man. You gotta be on your game. You can't be back there sleeping in the truck. Like, 
and just lazily slow slow punching of a broadcast is something that drives me crazy and they did a lot of it here tonight but this is their first live broadcast like this as far as closed circuit big event the pressure's on everybody's nervous they don't know how to get to three hours with eight matches they've they've got a lot of stuff going on but for a first outing it's acceptable i think that wrestlemania one is a better first outing but they also got to scout the competition they got to learn from mistakes that were made before them now i don't think wrestlemania one's a good show it's not a show that i would want to just chill out and watch just in my free time and that's unfortunately that's what i would say about this show too i wouldn't just put it on and just roll it just to watch it like it would be on in the background yeah i think the main event is good and i think the tag match is good but the rest of it is it's okay like it's it's just you can put on any wrestling from this time period and pretty much get what you would what you got outside of the blood which was NWA's fucking signature was JCP's number one priority is making sure everyone bleeds. But if you turned on WWF at this time or AWA, you, the match quality is going to be about the same. So, and that's it's just not for me. Just and and that's not to say that I think that like wrestling in the late '90s was great because there's a lot of shit there too. Like a couple weeks ago, that episode of Raw I reviewed had terrible wrestling on it. The wrestling quality on that, I probably rather watch the wrestling on Starcade 1 than anything I saw on that Raw from 97 and most weeks on weekly TV now the way yeah. they do TV matches so but look it, it wasn't really about the television viewing experience it was about the viewing experience of the people in Greensboro Coliseum all 15 some odd thousand of them and they loved it and at the end of the day that's really what matters is that they seemed satisfied they seemed happy They were invested through most of the matches. And at the end of the day, the guy they wanted to win won. So they got their happy ending. No pun intended. And that's and they're they're thrilled. So for a live event portion, not including the broadcast, I'd say this is an an amazing event Mm -hmm. for to be there live. But to watch it back, I it's it's rough, I think, in a lot of places. But um yeah, it accomplished it accomplished what it needed to, I think, and that's Well, we've discussed talking about events that you wish you could be at, Bash at the Beach ninety six or King of the Ring ninety eight. I which I would love to be at those. This one as well. This was the start of of the change of old school wrestling to we I think we kinda of discussed it, you know, earlier. The, the the badass real wrestler in Harley Race and the entertainer in Ric Flair. Right, yeah. That was the, the passing the of the shift, torch. Yeah. The shift of the golden age of wrestling to entertainment. For that shift, I think it's worth watching, but like I said, I just wouldn't watch it. Just I wouldn't pull it up just for no reason like I just there's a million other wrestling things I'd rather just watch for fun um on our rating scale Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez where are you gonna rank Starcade 1 1983 Harley Race mmm that's good I will rank it a Ric Flair so there you go as uh 
I don't really know what that means, but there you go. That's what that's what it is. Well, we're approaching September and we're approaching the fall. So our next review, I wanted to do a fall brawl from WCW, another long-lasting event. And so I'm going to pick Fall Brawl 1994, where Dusty Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes, and the Nasty Boys are going to take on the Stud Stable in a War Games match. As uh, since we had Dusty on this show, we'll just do a natural tie-in here, and uh, you'll get more of Dirty Dick Slater's future partner, Bunkhouse Buck, in this match, and um, some other stuff as well. So Fall Brawl 94 in the throes of the new gen era in pro wrestling where business was down attendance was down and yeah but you started to see some of the wwf guys coming over in wcw like the nasty boys and stuff so you're starting to see a a, another change that actually another big seismic change in pro wrestling the the wwf guys coming to wcw and which would lead to the NWO, which would lead to the biggest boom period in pro wrestling. So you start to see inklings of that here in Fall Brawl 1994. So that's what we'll watch. I've never seen it before. I'm not going to look at the rest of the card. I want to be surprised. And I hope that I hope that there's a Mr. Certain Ed Leslie that might make an appearance on this show. <laughs> I just hope. I'm going to cross my fingers. That'll do it for this week. You can go to powerslam.tv, use the promo code RETROWRESTLING, and get a month for free. And Patrick, we're about to go watch UFC DC versus Stipe. So UFC yeah. 241. So we'll have to talk about that next week yes. or whenever we get together, as you never know. So that'll do it for this week. I'm intern Alex. I'm the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my clothesline's a clothesline. And bingo, bango. We will miss you greatly. And thank you, Harley Race. Introducing, from Kansas City, Missouri, Harley Race. Harley Race's career was one decorated in championship gold as he held the NWA World Heavyweight Championship an astonishing eight times. Anybody that faced Harley Race when he was the world champion, you knew that you were in for a real fight. Harley was a workhorse. He was very proud of that championship. You're walking in against a man that has survived every obstacle that's ever been thrown in front of me. Harley engaged in epic title versus title clashes with WWE champions superstar Billy Graham and Bob Backlund. Right here, Daddy, is the Muhammad Ali of it all. But is perhaps best remembered for his epic rivalry with the nature boy Ric Flair. The single toughest, most intense wrestler I've ever been in the ring with in my entire life. Harley would join the WWE in 1986 and go on to win King of the Ring, after which he would nobly refer to himself as King Harley Race. I crown you the King, handsome Harley Race. I've listened to Hall of Famers tell story after story about the toughness and the skill that Harley Race possessed. That's what makes him one of the greatest superstars of all time. After an illustrious 25-year in-ring career, Harley retired from competition in 1990 and began managing for WCW's Lex Luger and Vader, leading them both to WCW World Championships. And in 2004, Harley Race would take his rightful place in the WWE Hall of Fame. I've been an extremely blessed human being. God gave me the talent to work in this business. 
there's not a better spot on earth than under those bright lights. Harley Race, one of the baddest dudes to ever step in a ring, a legitimate tough guy, and a guy that every single buddy in the whole business had nothing but high regard and total respect for. Harley Race passed away this past week at the age of 76. We at WWE send our deepest sympathies to his family and loved ones. Harley Race will forever be remembered by his WWE family as a friend, a mentor, and a champion. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only five. per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv.